You're listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg-Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. Uh, well, I didn't introduce myself earlier, but if we haven't met before, my name is Matt Mulloyan. Uh, I serve as one of the pastors here of Liberty Church. And uh, after 17 weeks last spring and then another 11 or 12 this fall, uh, we have reached the end of the book of Acts. Uh, in the Christian calendar, today is also what's known as Christ the King Sunday. And so maybe you noticed that we sang a couple songs earlier about Jesus as the King, crown him with many crowns. Uh, maybe you noticed that the linens on the cross and on the table this morning are white. They've, for many months now, been green uh, in what is called ordinary time in the life of the church. Uh, but Christ the King Sunday is actually the end of the Christian calendar for the year. And Advent, which is next Sunday, uh, it begins a new, a new year. So the purpose of Christ the King Sunday is for us to fix our eyes on the eternal and the enduring reign of Jesus. He has conquered death. He will rule the nations. All creatures, really everything in all creation, will one day bow to him. And we remember today that we're, that we're invited, we're called to come willingly, to bow joyfully now through his inexhaustible grace and mercy. So I think it's really fitting that, that we reach the end of the book of Acts on Christ the King Sunday. Because as we'll see, as we'll read in just a moment, this ending is really a beginning. The book of Acts will end, in some ways, very unexpectedly. It will leave uh, some glaring questions unanswered. But none of that is by accident. It will end that way because this is, this is a story that, that continues. You've heard me and other people who have preached during this series say many times as we studied Acts that the book of Acts is about the Spirit of God empowering Jesus' church to advance God's mission. And that is still happening today. The Holy Spirit today, in this moment, is empowering us, who are part of Jesus' church, to advance God's mission in the world. So we're even getting to see that in a powerful way this morning. We're baptizing people today. We're welcoming people into covenant this morning. On this very day, we are witnesses that God continues to bring people out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That people who once were lost have been found. And the people who once were dead have now been made alive. So we get to end Acts by celebrating that in reality, there is no end. There is no end. The mission continues and it will continue until everything is brought under the perfect reign of Christ the King. And then the story will go on forever. Though the mission at that point will cease. Worship will not. And of the increase, as the prophet Isaiah wrote so many centuries ago, of the increase of Jesus' government and of peace, there will be no end. So I invite you to listen now with open ears to this book that we love. This is the end of Acts. It's chapter 28. And I'll begin there in verse 1. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. 
They were waiting for him to swell up or, to su- or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and so saw no misfortune can't come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. You kind of get Luke's humor in that, like how quickly they changed their mind, like he's a murderer or he's God. <laughs> Verse 7, now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed, putting his hands on him, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island, who had diseases also, came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Puteoli. There we found brothers, or the word means brothers and sisters, and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and the Three Taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the, with the soldier that guarded him. Verse 17, after three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. And from morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. When, and some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense, and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And this is God's word. Let me pray for us this morning. Lord, you have given us your word as a light to shine upon our path. So help us now, even in these moments that we have together this morning, to meditate on your word, to follow its teaching, that we may find in it the light that shines more and more until the perfect day, till the full consummation of the eternal reign of Christ our King. And it's through him and it's through his finished work that we ask these things 
and pray these things. Amen. Let's close our study in the book of Acts by considering both the ending and the beginning. The ending and the beginning. So first, the the ending. Uh, Some of you are perhaps bibliophiles or cinephiles, or maybe some of you are even writers. In, In literary terminology, a frame story is a story that begins with the ending and then proceeds to explain how things ended up that way. Now, now Acts, of course, is not simply a work of literature. Luke, the author of this book, is a historian. And he's writing orderly accounts, first about the life and the ministry of Jesus. We call that the Gospel of Luke, and that's in our Bible as well. And now about the Acts of the Apostles in the early church. That's the book we've been studying these last months. But Acts, in its own way, is somewhat of of a frame story. If you were here with us all the way back in February of this year when we began this book, just before Jesus ascends to heaven, he commissions his apostles. And in that, he says in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria, and then where? To the end of the earth. To the end of the earth. The rest of this book then proceeds to explain how that unfolds. We know the ending from the beginning. That's the progression of of the advance of the gospel in the book of of Acts. It's first in Jerusalem, and then in Judea, and then in Samaria. And Acts concludes then in Rome, which would have felt like the end of the earth from Jerusalem. Rome, the, the center of the world at the time, but with these prospects of then reaching even further to the outer reaches of that massive empire, truly the the ends of the earth. There's an additional kind of mini-frame story that comes in these final chapters of Acts. In Acts 23, after the second of the Apostle Paul's final five trials, we've been walking through these trials that he's been undergoing these past chapters, these past weeks of Acts. After the second one, Jesus appears to Paul. The text says that he stood by Paul and says to him, take courage, for as you have testified about the, uh, to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Now that, Jesus said that to Paul about two and a half years before the events of Acts 28. So all the way back there, we knew Paul was going to make it to Rome. He was going to get there. Jesus had already told him so. And so the other three trials that Paul went through and the danger of the storm at sea and the shipwreck that we looked at last week, all of that is just the unfolding of a story that we already know the ending to. But actually, that that doesn't take away from the drama, does it? it? It draws us in. It draws us in. How is God going to bring Paul through overwhelmingly difficult circumstances and actually accomplish his purposes? Well, Acts 28 is just the the last bit of closing the loop. We know Paul is going to get to Rome, and here, at long last, is how. So as we read, they shipwreck on an island called Malta. And as a testament, not only to God's protection, which we've seen now time and again in Paul's life in the course of the last 15 chapters of this book, but also a testament to God's kindness Paul and these other prisoners and the Roman soldiers, they are shown unusual and unexpected hospitality from the native people that live there. Paul is then protected from what should have been another death. He should have died multiple times over the course of his ministry. He should have died here from this viper bite. We've talked about in the book of Acts how some of it's descriptive and some of it's prescriptive. This part is definitely not prescriptive. 
Okay, there's some pockets of, of Christians that have kind of taken passages like this and said, well, we should also handle venomous snakes and get bitten by them and just kind of, you know, our faith will protect us from dying. Please don't do that. Please don't do that. God gave a specific promise to Paul. He had purposes for Paul to get to Rome and to testify to the gospel before Nero, before Caesar. God did not, at least as far as I'm aware, give you any of those promises. If you get bit by a viper, you will probably die. You will probably die. So don't do it. Paul then is able to to serve the people of the island there, including the the leader of the island, this this chief, this man named Publius. And he heals his father and a number of other people. We've seen in this book so many times that miraculous healings and signs accompany the apostles' words as they teach people about Jesus and what he's done. It serves as a testament not only to the truth of their words, but also to the real power of God. And then we see a glimpse of how God has really been at work in these very places long before Paul gets there. We start to see other Christians, other brothers and sisters, verse 14, they start to appear in these places along the way. Well, Paul hasn't gotten there yet, but there are already Christians there waiting. And when the sailing part of the journey is done, some of those Christians from Rome, they venture out something like 40 miles to meet Paul and to meet Luke and the rest of this traveling party and to escort them back to the city. And so we came to Rome. That phrase there in verse 14, at least to me, feels way too understated. It's not even given its own verse, you know, in this chapter. Given that this is where the the entire book has been leading, it feels like there should be something more climactic than that. And there really is, though, if you think about it, a ton of fulfillment summarized in the simple words of that second half of verse 14. Jesus' commission in Acts 1.8, that's fulfilled here. Jesus' promise to Paul that he would make it to Rome. You know, although it's certainly undesirable circumstances, Paul has indeed reached his desired destination. And then once in Rome, Paul starts to repeat some of the patterns that we've long become familiar with in this book. Uh, He can't because he's under house arrest. He's literally chained to a Roman soldier. Uh, He can't go to the synagogue, as was his custom in many cities. So he instead invites the Jewish leaders from the synagogue to come and meet with him. And he teaches them, as he did in other places, about the kingdom of God. He tries to convince them from their own scriptures, from their own holy and sacred writings, that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the law of Moses and, and the prophets. And then as is the case in all these other cities he went to, some people are convinced by that and some are not. And so we heard Paul again, which ends up being the fourth time that he's now done this in the book of Acts. Paul affirms that that rejection by the Jewish people, their failure to receive and to see Jesus as the fulfillment of all those promises, as the anointed one, the, the Messiah, their rejection means inclusion for the Gentiles, for the non-Jewish people. And then as he awaits his time with Nero, Paul spends two more years. Think about that. He's already been in Caesarea under house arrest for two years. He's traveled now to Rome. It's taken him probably about six months to get there. And then he sits another two years under house arrest, just waiting again. And as he sits there and waits, it says he welcomes all who come to visit him. And we should find that really encouraging, especially after just hearing about the Jews rejecting this message of Jesus 
Because when, when Luke writes that Paul received all, he certainly meant that he was receiving both Jews and Gentiles. So even though many Jews reject Jesus, some do see him as the fulfillment of all those promises. Some do put their faith in him. And Paul is welcoming both Jews and Gentiles, proclaiming the kingdom of God for these next two years. And that's, that's it. Uh, that's where the book ends. And maybe you're joining now with you know, centuries of, of other Christians, people who've gone before us, wondering why it doesn't resolve a few things. Uh, especially, if nothing else, why don't we hear about the outcome of Paul's trial? Luke spent all of these words, all these chapters telling us about all these other trials that Paul went through, five of them. Well, this is the big one. This is, this is Caesar. This is the emperor of the, the Roman Empire. What happened in that trial? What did Paul say to Nero? We don't know. We don't know. Church tradition tells us that Paul did meet with Nero, uh, that he was exonerated, and that he was released, and that Paul then carried on his missionary work and, and actually most likely made it all the way to Spain, the far western edge of the Roman Empire. That was his ambition. He wrote to the Romans, he wants to get to Spain. Church tradition tells us he, he did get there. And then in 64 AD, about two years after he was released from this first imprisonment in Rome, Paul was imprisoned in Rome a second time, and then that time he was condemned and he was beheaded eventually. So Luke likely wrote this book before any or most of that happened. If he wrote it after, then we certainly are left with this question, why would he not include some of those details that we would certainly want to know. If it was written after that, then perhaps a portion of his writing was lost or, or Luke just had a really specific purpose in ending abruptly. Maybe he just knew that all of his audience already knew that Paul had been exonerated and Paul had continued on his missionary journey. He had some specific purpose in ending there and not sharing those details. Here's the thing. At the end of the day, we don't know. We don't know. But, but, in the providence of God, this open-ended conclusion to the book of Acts has served as a calling and an invitation to all of Jesus' followers since. The open ending of this book is, is a calling to you and an invitation to you and to me. This ending is a beginning. So second, let's consider how that's the case. How is the end of Acts really a beginning? This story continues. This mission goes on. And though you and I are not apostles, you know, capital A apostles, we are not eyewitnesses to the risen Jesus like Paul was and Peter and James and John. We are witnesses to the power of God. We are witnesses to his ongoing work in the world. As many of you know, we're part of a family of churches that's called the Acts 29 Network. And you've probably realized this by now. If you haven't, this will be like a little bit of an eye-opening moment for you. Uh, there is no 29th chapter in the book of Acts. Uh, our, the network, the family that we're part of is called Acts 29 for this very reason, because the mission continues. And you and I have been caught up into it, have been caught up into this. See, at the end of this book, we're not meant to close the cover, you know, and sip our warm beverage and say, man, what a good story. What a good book. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to add Luke to my favorite authors on Amazon. 
I want to know when he writes, I want to get a notification when he writes another one so I can read what's next, okay? I treat other books that way. You can treat other books that way. But when we finish this book, our response should be, praise God, now let's go. Praise God, let's go. See, men and women, it is our turn as followers of Jesus. It is our privilege and responsibility in this time and in this place that has been ordained and orchestrated by God to carry on this great work. The Spirit is still empowering Jesus' church to advance God's mission. Still doing that. So as we wrap up this series, let's just break down that refrain that we've heard time and again into what that means for us today. The Spirit empowers Jesus' church to advance God's mission. The Spirit The Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of God dwelling in you. The Spirit remains living and active. This was not just something the Spirit did for a a century and then quit. The Spirit empowers us today. He offers us assurance of our place with Jesus. He gives us gifts that are meant to build up and to bless other people. He guides our steps so that our lives increasingly reflect the beauty and the worth of Jesus and of his kingdom. The sad reality is we're often content to settle for so much less than that. We we occupy ourselves with hobbies and we numb ourselves with food and alcohol and substances and entertainment. We exhaust ourselves with busyness, making so many unnecessary and negotiable things non-negotiable and essential. We are tossed around by chasing money and chasing power, chasing esteem from other people, when we in reality have been sealed with the spirit of the living God. We've been sealed with the spirit of the living God. So today, even in this moment, I would implore you, ask the Holy Spirit to truly lead and direct your life. And then keep asking, keep pleading in desperation to live by the Spirit in each and every moment of your life. I love how one pastor put it more than a century ago, reflecting on this book of Acts, this pastor named A.T. Pearson. And you know if you've got a name like A.T. Pearson, you're like a Bible scholar from like a century ago. A.T. Pearson writes this, Church of Christ, the records of these acts of the Holy Ghost have never reached completeness Acts is the one book which has no proper close because it waits for new chapters to be added so fast and so far as the people of God shall reinstate the blessed spirit in his holy seat of control. Do you get that? New chapters as far and as fast as we reinstate the spirit in his holy seat of control. Ask the spirit to take his holy seat of control in your life or to retake it or retake it again and again. Or as Paul puts it in Galatians and then unpacks it further, keep in step with the Spirit. Recognize the unmeasurable gift that it is to have the Spirit of God dwelling inside you and commit yourself to keep in step with Him. You can, you are meant to be part of the ever-unfolding new chapters of this book. The Spirit empowers the church, Jesus' church. And we have seen in this book, Jesus builds his church. Like so many millions upon millions of people over the past two millennia, now we get to be part of a people bought by him. I don't know if you ever stopped to really think about that in your own life, or maybe you thought about it a long time ago, but it's just kind of become dull, not fresh in your mind. You are part of the people that Jesus has purified for himself. 
You are part of the people that Jesus has made zealous for good works. And no work greater than seeing the good news, the very message of Jesus' salvation, reach and transform every people and every place on this planet. You know why I'm a pastor? Do you know I'm a pastor? Some of you know, some of you I know very well, and some of you know this about my life and my story. Uh, That was not my aim in life, to become a pastor. I went to business school, and I, you know, had what was a really nice road kind of laid out for me. Uh, That road included Jesus. I, I was a Christian at that time. That road included Jesus. It included being involved in the church. I don't have, like perhaps some of you do, a dramatic conversion story like Paul. I grew up in the church, and unlike many people, I had an overwhelmingly positive experience of growing up in the church. But something like 15 years ago now, God gave me new eyes for what the church actually is. I'd been in it my whole life, and I'm sure people had said it to me at some point along the way, but I never saw it. The church is more than an institution. The church is more than gathered worship services. The church is more than some programs of spiritual formation. It is absolutely all of those things. But but friends, most fundamentally, the church is people loved by Jesus and transformed by Jesus one degree of glory to another. And as we experience that, we become the means by which God blesses and renews and reconciles the whole world. We're like the exiles in Babylon so many centuries ago. We are here right now as the people of God for the welfare, for the shalom, the peace and prosperity of the world. We are here as witnesses to the truth. We are here as ministers of reconciliation. We are here as a kingdom of priests. We are those against whom the gates of hell will not stand. Fifteen years ago, God so impressed the beauty of that vision for his church on my mind and gave me a hope that we might actually embody that. Like how audacious is this? We might actually step into the purposes for which Jesus established his church. That vision and that hope that God gave me was so strong in that moment, I've yet to get over it. And I hope I never do. I hope I never do. Friends, do you recognize what you have been caught up into? When you say that you are part of the church, Jesus' church, that's what you're part of. I pray you'll see it. And I pray that, that this church, this local expression of Jesus' body, Jesus' purified people, will even more faithfully embody the purposes for which Jesus bought and established his church. Help us do that, will you? Help us do that. We are Jesus' church. Help us be Jesus' church. So you've got the spirit that empowers Jesus' church to advance God's mission. So lastly, let's talk about the mission. This is God's story. This is, this is God's mission. And as we have seen over and again in Acts, this book is not so much about the acts of the apostles as it is about the acts of God. How, how God is fulfilling his promise to bless all the nations of the earth, how he is orchestrating all of the details and the circumstances of life in this world to bring everything under Jesus' eternal reign. There are many worthwhile things to devote your life to. There are many vocations worth pursuing. There are many causes. Many of you already give your life to really worthwhile pursuits, and I hope you always will. But even more than that, I hope you give your whole life to one ultimate cause. 
And that is that God is reconciling the world to himself in Jesus Christ. He is reconciling the world to himself in Jesus. Through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, salvation and redemption is now held out to all who would come. Properly understood, any other worthwhile pursuit in our lives is actually going to flow directly from that. Directly from that. So pursue the other ones. But let's never miss the forest for the trees. You are on this earth, men and women. You are on this earth in this time and place to be part of advancing God's mission in the world. And Charles Spurgeon was so daring as to say it this way, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Now that doesn't mean that you have to be in vocational ministry. It does mean that your vocation, whatever it is, is a mission assignment. So see it that way. Have new eyes on your vocation. Step into your vocation in a renewed way. It is a mission assignment. That doesn't mean that, that your home, you know, where you live or where you live with your family can't be a haven for you, can't be a haven for your family, but it does mean you can't treat your home like a fortress and hide out in it. Open your home. Open your home. Make it an outpost that displays the welcome and the hospitality and the very grace of God. And this doesn't mean that you have to give away all your money. It does mean, however, that your money is ammunition meant to blow big holes in the gates of hell. I, love, I heard a pastor say that once. I'll never forget it, and I'll steal it from him every time. Your money is ammunition meant to blow big holes in the gates of hell. So deploy your money in that way, and more of it than would make sense to most people. It won't make sense. It won't make sense unless, of course, participating in God's mission really is the ultimate and worthwhile cause. So the ending of Acts is the beginning of our place in God's story, in the great story. That's what C.S. Lewis referred to it as when he wrapped up the Chronicles of Narnia. He closes out the final book of that series, the book called The Last Battle, like this. And as for us, this is the end of all the stories. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, and in which every chapter is better than the one before. On this Christ the King Sunday, let us again remember Jesus Christ wins. Jesus will reign forever. And we are part of that great story that goes on forever and in which every chapter is better than the one before. As we await its unfolding, as we await the full telling of the story of how we get from Acts chapter 28 until the, the fulfillment of the eternal reign of Jesus, the Spirit of God will continue to, to empower Jesus' church to advance God's mission. And so as a response to the salvation that has so freely been offered to you in Jesus Christ, keep in step with the Spirit. Be Jesus' church. Advance God's mission. May the end of Acts be the beginning of your place in God's great story. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us.
Jesus, as we conclude the book of Acts, we rejoice that you continue this great work in us and that we have been caught up into it, that what began so many centuries before, what found so much fulfillment, Jesus, in your life and death and resurrection has now continued on and will continue on until you reconcile the world to yourself, until you make all things new. We long for that day. And as we begin Advent next week, we will anticipate more and more your coming again. Pray that this morning you would stir up in us a recognition of the worth of what we've been caught up into. The spirit dwelling inside us, the church bought and established by Jesus, the mission, the the very mission of God that we've been invited to participate in. And as we now get to come to this table, help us to look and see, Jesus, again, the great salvation you've offered. Help us to feast upon your finished work. Renew us even in, in this moment in your grace because we need it, we long for it so that we might participate in your ongoing work in this world. We look to you now. We praise you, Jesus, for your great and your finished work. And we say this all in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.